Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Today's podcast episode. All right. Gabby, how are you doing? Hi, Bill. Nice to see you today. I'm great. Yeah. Really good. I'm so excited to have this conversation. A mutual friend of ours pointed me in your direction. And these are just the kind of conversations that the Almost Awakened podcast is trying to have. Folks, if you are joining us, you'll notice Britt is not with us today. Uh, she will not be present for this episode, but we're really excited. Uh, Britt and I have talked for weeks and weeks about uh, the content that we were creating, including this one. And uh, I've got a few questions today, and I think we're going to have a, little, a real fun conversation, Gabby. Um, first, let's start off with you just sharing maybe a little bit about yourself so that the audience can get a bit of a feel for who you are. And uh, if you want to share kind of your credentials, and then we'll talk about how you got into this line of work and what it is that you do. Okay. Thank you so much, Bill, for having me. I really appreciate um, this whole opportunity to share with your community. Um, Love it. It was very interesting to me because um, as you uh, continue on your journey to help people expand their minds and come into themselves, uh, their, their own self-knowing, I feel very close to that mission also. Mm. And mushrooms have been an amazing tool for me um, to get to know myself. And um, although my, my ministry that I run, uh, the Universal Ministry of Transcendence um, is based around entheogenic plant and sacred fungal uh, medicines mm. or organic technologies. Mm. Um, we're not dogmatic way. or denominational, but we do all agree that the sacred fungi and the sacred plants are part of our God-given right to worship and a fundamental tool. They are our sacrament. And we take them in a sacred way. And basically people that join the ministry agree to take these sacred plants and fungi in a way that is sacred to them and um, not, um, you know, and recreation, in my opinion, is part of that. As a matter of fact, I believe that sacred plants and fungi are a human right. And I don't believe that we should need to join any sort of ministry to, um, consume these sacraments and consume these sacred botanicals. However, uh, we live in the United States and here um, we enjoy a robust constitution. Um, our First Amendment right includes freedom of religion and freedom of sacrament. So I've always been interested in uh, esoteric religions. I did not grow up in any specific religion. We didn't talk about uh, the universal oneness or uh, creator, God, anything um, of that sort, whatever you want to call it. Um, in my family, it was it was a very um, material like way of, of talking. But I would go to like Catholic or Sunday school with my Catholic friends and remember telling my mom when I was little that I wanted to be Jewish and 
that I was Egyptian and I've always been very drawn to the, to the esoteric and um, mushrooms have only um, made me more interested in the histories of, of these ancient religions and their real origins. Um, as you know, all of the texts that we find, religious texts, sacred ancient texts, are written by humans and they're also up for inter interpretation by humans so there's a lot to delve into there and um a lot to kind of pull apart when you look at the uh, sacred history of plants and fungi in ancient texts mm -hmm. um so i as i said i'm a uh, priestess priestess gabby chai bird uh, also refer to myself as a minister. Um, I kind of resonate with the term priestess more because it's more all encompassing. I'm not Christian, Catholic, I, I not denominational. I find that there's beauty in all religions and there has also been a lot of destruction um, because of dogma in religion. So um, we in the ministry accept any and all religions that come in peace and that agree to consume the sacrament um, in that way. So um, that's a little bit about the ministry. We have members from all over the country, um, almost every single state at this point. Um, we do have like groups where we meet and we chat. Um, we uh, are mostly female based, as you know, um, and really it's just grown into like a very beautiful support network of people who are microdosing and macrodosing to um to help themselves get back in touch with themselves. And you asked about my story. Um, getting in touch with myself was the reason why I went deeply down this path of the sacred mushroom specifically. Um, I've taken all kinds of entheogenic plants and fungi. I've done many different, um, many different, I guess you could say like occult paths. Mm -hmm. I've grown gardens. I've stayed in one place. I've traveled a lot. I've made pilgrimages to take um, plant medicines such as peyote, ayahuasca, um, ibogaine. Um, so I've worked with a lot of different uh, sacred plant medicines, but the fungi have resonated with me in a really special way um, for a multitude of reasons. Um, first of all, they're more accessible here now. And I think the accessibility of the mushroom has made it easier for me to um, you know, get back to my own intuition and remove um, old patterns created by gaslighting and dogma, things that we just really can't avoid being human. Um, and it's something that I've been able to take on my own and take in smaller amounts, larger amounts, um, depending on the circumstances and what I was, you know, trying to go for, or, you know, sometimes <laughs> things can get a little wild, but, um, let me but, jump in for just, let me jump in for a moment sure. and, uh, and kind of chat with you here for a moment. So you, you mentioned a couple of things. One is that we are entering this moment where I think people are awakening. It seems like there's this transitional moment happening. And, and I look at things like Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind, which I thought was really well written to kind of the, just the lay person to kind of understand how we went from an age of the 50s, 60s, 70s. 80s, in fact, where drugs, where these kinds of medicine tools were lumped into this category of drugs, they were made deeply illegal. And we just said they're not useful, they're only going to cause problems. And then little by little, the, the data, the science, the research seems like it's allowed to kind of come back in. 
And so we're in this age where uh, I know that there's been studies on PTSD with uh, uh, both psilocybin and mushrooms, obviously same thing, but psilocybin mushrooms, as well as MDMA, um, there's been uh, science behind how do we deal with depression? And they're finding that these, some of these medicine tools uh, are, are deeply helpful. Uh, having done mushrooms and ayahuasca myself, I can certainly speak to that. But, and then also you mentioned that people should be free to use these things. And it, it's really easy for me to just go in my head and go back a couple hundred thousand years and think about how the world would have been then, right? And if, if you and me and the rest of our tribe were walking around on the, on the Savannah or the Serengeti and, and uh, we came across some medicine tool that we knew in our culture was helpful to have a vision or to uh, sort out kind of the inner stuff going on within each of us, we would have just been free to pull it out of the ground and throw it in our mouth and, and have that experience. And yet, like you, like you said, we live in a country where there are rules and laws and things that we have to follow. But it's so strange to me that um, an entity is put into place and that entity gets to make rules that supersede the human freedoms that we had before that entity was created, right? And, and so I find all of this conversation interesting in that I, I love the way you're articulating what these are. I think that our audience is made up of mostly folks who have deconstructed unhealthy religious systems, and they welcome these sorts of conversations. But a large chunk of our audience is going to be fairly new to this, and maybe they haven't done these medicine tools before, or maybe they don't really know which ones do what and how these things work. And so bringing you on and having this conversation is just a wonderful chance to kind of just inform people um, about, about these things. So I guess I want to go back in time a little bit and ask you, how did you get into this line of work? At some point you must've, I'm assuming you had some really cool experience with a medicine tool and you started to lean into or sense into that you wanted to help people with these. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so when I was young, I've always been interested in uh, altered states of consciousness. Mm. Um, from when I was little, I was always out in nature, um, talking to the fairies, making little like altars for it. the fairies and little houses yeah. for the fairies. I grew up next to a pond and I was very connected with nature. My family, um, we have a deep connection with the ocean also. And I had you know, my own childhood traumas. Um, and I didn't realize that I had been melancholy and depressed for most of my life. I also suffered from some health issues. Um, you know, I can go really deep into it, but I'll keep it like pretty normal, <laughs> normal. Um, I started to experiment with tobacco, um, alcohol, and a lot of other substances when I was young. I was probably about 11 years old the first time I got drunk, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, it was, you know, the best night of my life, running around the golf course with my friends and just rolling around and just being out of, of me. And um, that led to, like, a lot of pot consumption. I smoked a lot of cannabis um, for many, many years. I smoked a lot of tobacco. I even segued like around my later teen years into, you know, some of the harder drugs, 
um, experimenting with cocaine and um, some other things that were, you know, very detrimental. And I'm not saying that any of these, you know, they're tools. They really are. Like the coca leaf has a deep history in um, Andean culture as a medicine. And um, I just didn't understand yet that the plants, you know, from what the understanding that I have now, I didn't realize it was possible. I mean, I felt it in my bones with this connection with nature, but I was a skeptic of myself because I grew up in a very material oriented scientific kind of environment, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's my journey. Um, so I did take mushrooms. I think I was like 15 the first time. And uh, I would think I was drinking at the same time. And I had a lot of these like combination experiences with sort of higher doses, but with alcohol. And, um, I had some frightening experiences around those times, but when I got to college, I remember having a few experiences that were very psychedelic uh, with my roommate. Her sister sent us mushroom chocolates and just being out in Red Rocks in Burlington, Vermont, um, listening to the sound of the ice clinking against itself in Lake Champlain and, you know, feeling the trees like sway. And, um, you know, there were fearful events during that trip as well. But I felt very connected um, with the mushroom. And I would say that like I reached a point in my life where I was burnt out um, from partying. I was burnt out from cocaine, alcohol, all these things. I had done a lot of damage. I had been in a lot of toxic relationships and I had been like deeply depressed for a long time. And um, I ended up closing my seafood business and I just felt so lost. And it was like, I was like, I need mushroom. I need to get some mushrooms. So I, I got some, it was just an idea. So I just got some mushrooms and I barely tripped, but I, I closed my business down like the next day. Um, people were super angry with me, but it was like, a, it was the beginning of my really like my spiritual awakening, I would say. And the next seven, eight years were, were tough. Like they were hard. I experienced like living in a van, um, being really poor, um, being very like rejecting of my family and very alone and, you know, rubbing up against the world in ways that were really difficult. But I also had some of the most profound like spiritual journeys with plant and fungal medicines during that time. And I learned a lot about myself. So it was kind of like a the dark night of the soul or the dark seven years of the soul. Um, and I reached it deep within and uh, I was able to, through the plant medicines and also like some energy work, um, remember things that were like what caused my trauma probably in the beginning, things that are really, really old. Um, and just was able to like open my mind more. And um, I had the opportunity, I think it was like, it was like almost four years ago now, but I had been working in Alaska at a bar and um, I saved up money and I was just done with alcohol for, you know, the, uh, the many times I've quit. But that time I was like, I'm done. I can't work in a bar anymore. It's killing me. And um, I came kind of came full circle, went back to Columbia, took ayahuasca again, came up to uh, my hometown, Cape Cod and was back in Vermont. And I got the opportunity to go work at an ibogaine clinic. And so this is the set. I had worked at one before in Mexico. For those of you who don't know, ibogaine, iboga, is a root bark from Africa. It's like they call it the grandfather of psychedelics. 
it's very powerful. And a lot of people are understanding it um, because it it's really good for opiate withdrawal. Um, so the clinic that I used to work at was mostly for people coming out of opiate withdrawal, but the clinic I was offered to intern and work at was more like a spiritual journey center. And it's the best of the best. I mean, that place is the place. That's where if anyone asked me where to go, that's where I would say to go. I really like love the person who runs it and he's very authentic. He goes to Africa and communes with the plant and he has, you know, he's part of the tribe. So, um, I had that opportunity and I was just, I was up in Vermont. I was foraging mushrooms, which is a huge passion of mine, specifically the polypores on the, on the birch trees up there and making medicine and uh, staying with a friend and his mom and just going through some really tough stuff. And, um, and I was like, no, no, I'm not leaving. This is my country. Like, this is my land. This is, these are my people. And these mushrooms are here. I don't, need to go anywhere else. I don't need an African root or anything outside. I can, you know, I can cultivate these mushrooms. I can forage these mushrooms. Like I'm staying. And I had no idea what that was going to look like, but, and I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm crazy. Like I'm giving up the opportunity that I have always dreamed of. This is like the exact job I wanted. And, um, but I just felt it so deeply, the call of the mushroom, and I'm so glad I listened to that inner wisdom because um, my life took a turn and it wasn't easy from there. I mean, I went through a lot more stuff. It's Nowadays, things are a, a lot more calm because I listened to the voice because I put in the work and I listened to the call of my heart. Um, things have been falling in place a lot more the past you know, three years for me and for what I'm doing. And I've been able to you know, learn to cultivate cultivate, forage more, learn about the Amanita along with the psilocybin um, and learn about the shamanic properties of the polypores. Those are the medicinal mushrooms that grow on trees in the boreal forest, in the northern forests. Um, and, you know, I all I can say is that I am just so grateful for the path that that I ended up taking. And I love plant medicine. I always will love all of it. I'm so, I love the iboga, the ayahuasca, all of it, but I really, really, um, have felt called to the mushroom specifically. And, um, mm. this may sound really out there, but I had like mold exposure when I was young and somehow that feels like it was part of this journey. Um, I feel like fungus is a portal. So, um, yeah, it's, Mushrooms gave rise to dirt. It's the oldest thing on earth. I mean, the spores have traveled through space, through heat, through cold. And, you know, they came here first. It's the largest kingdom. Um, and we can, we can, you know, we don't have to get on an airplane and go somewhere to work with it. It can be here. It can be here and now. So as, as a priestess in the current, uh, role that you play within this medicine community, how did you get involved in doing that? Like, how did you get lined up to be doing the specific work that you're doing and to essentially have an ordination as a priestess to be able to work with the medicine uh, as a sacrament with folks? Like, how did that, uh, how did that part of the journey take place? 
Well, I worked with the medicine on my own for many, many years, and I learned to cultivate it. Um, and I learned to administer it to myself, like bioassaying. Like I've taken everything that I've made a lot of times, and I've given it to my family, my friends, um, and then I've kind of expanded out from there. And um, I've done a lot of work on myself, like with leaving behind toxic patterns and relationships with other plants. Um, such as tobacco, like I've had to like cut ties and clear the channels. Um, and it was really only then when I gave up this other stuff. And I'm not saying that this is the only way because there are like, there's all kinds of ways to get where we're going, but this is what worked for me. Um, and I knew it because in a certain mushroom trips that I took, the mushroom told me the mushroom is my guru in this whole <laughs> mushroom journey that I'm on. Like, and the times I've been tripping too, you know, not too hard, but like really hard, like I've had nothing to hold on to but the mushroom. And I don't go on super big journeys very often, um, but I do microdose a lot um, and I'm constantly trying my own blends and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I think that the mushrooms, it may sound weird, but I think the mushroom spirits, um, I listened to them and I and I was obedient <laughs> like it sounds so weird because I've always been such we should, a rebel. Yeah, yeah. We should stop and talk about this because the length. And again, I, I hope I can smooth this over because I, I, I think there's something happening here, which is that when you're communicating about these tools, you're using a language and a vernacular that's very different than the audience would be accustomed to. And what I would say is maybe kind of bridging that between. And I love what you're saying and respect it very much. Having done ayahuasca, I don't know, again, I don't know in my head if it was real or not, but during this deep um, visionary state where I'm, I'm not in normal reality, I'm in a cave and I'm talking to these beings that are not human, but they've got arms and they've got legs. And I've done mushrooms before and relived, like, like we all can go inside our head and pull out a memory and go like, oh yeah, for my birthday, I did this. But on mushrooms, I actually relived the memory. I was there. I was sitting on the bed. I was, I was, I, I smelled what the room smelled like. I could, I could see the color of the paint. I felt the texture of my old bed comforter that was on the bed in that house that I lived in. And, and so folks, when they're listening, are going to go like, oh, because they've already deconstructed religion. They're going to go like, oh, this is just more woo. And I simply want to just have people pause. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to use the same language here that Gabby's using, but I think you're hitting at a very deep truth, which is that these medicines, the experiences you have under them will be so far from your normal reality, but they're, they're, they're so real in the experience that you have no choice but to at least sit with what's trying to, what it's trying to teach you. Whether you end up waking up and believing that you know, as you started off talking about how you were building environments for fairies, uh, I had to smile because um, we all we all are trying to connect with the mystery in the universe, and and there's so many people trying to define what it is, and none of us know exactly for sure, but there is deep truths that these medicines can pass along. Um, so anyway, I just I just want to say like the things you're saying, folks are going to be very quick to dismiss. And having done ayahuasca, having done mushrooms, 
I would have no problem sitting in a room with you and hearing that conversation and going like, I, there's some truth to what she's saying. It's not that your reality is necessarily everybody else's, but that what you experience, I know for sure is completely real to you when you experience that, because I've experienced things that I can't explain that have helped me understand my inner self better in the outer world. And I would just hope that folks would, uh, would sit and, and try to sense into if you haven't used plant medicines. And for those who do, I bet everybody out there who's done a, um, done a, an episode with mushrooms or done ayahuasca, uh, they're going to relate and know what we're talking about, but we're going to have a lot of newbies here and they're going to be a little more foreign to this. And this is going to seem a little out there if that makes sense. Oh yeah. It definitely yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, um, well, one thing we can probably all relate to is that, or I'm not sure, but this might be more relatable. Like you may come upon something in your life that you think is amazing and it's healing and you just like, you, you do it and you're like, want to share it with everyone. Mm. And, you know, I have, you know, it doesn't have to be the plant fungal medicines. It could be something else, but if people aren't like open to that, there's no way to, to, you know, convince them. Like, I really feel like if you feel, hear the call of something, that's when you're ready to be open. So there's no like forcing it, you know? Yeah. And you shouldn't do it if you don't feel like you want to do it. You, no, you shouldn't and, yeah. stay away from it. Yeah. yeah. And you might change your mind later. Changing your mind is fine too. I feel like there's a lot of stigma about changing. There is, right? Yeah. There is. Yeah. But um, I think that changing your mind is beautiful. Like if you change and grow, that's, that's the nature of the universe. Everything is always in flux. So yeah. we're, we can give ourselves space for that too. Um, people that want to like take mushrooms and have a good time that sometimes can, and if they've, done it a lot and they're feeling very comfortable with themselves like okay i understand that that's great having a good time is um, is amazing we all deserve that but if you're you know just thinking that you're going to take it and it's going to be all a recreational great, party time <laughs> you might get a real slap in the face yeah. it's, it's not really like that you know mm -hmm. it's a it's a reflection of yourself so like if you want to talk about it in like more like scientific terms psilocybin when you take it they've done studies you can look at a brain image scan of someone who's taken magic mushrooms sacred mushrooms and you can see that their brain lights up in all these new ways like mm -hmm. as we get older neuroplasticity is kind of like a hot concept right now like we can change our, our the way we think mm -hmm. by doing certain things um mushrooms are sacred mushrooms, psilocybin are a huge fast, fast track to that simply like on a scientific level, because everywhere in your brain is lighting up like a child. You're no longer skiing down the same pathways that you've been skiing down for, for decades yeah. that have gotten deeper and deeper and put you into it's the fresh rut. snow. Yeah. Yeah. This is fresh snow. And this is like, th that's why, you know, well on a material plane, that's why when you take it, you're like the, the mundane once more is interesting you know that blockage that you couldn't clean your house that your house was a mess and you just couldn't get to it it's like all of a sudden you're like oh this isn't so hard i can just like move oh that feels good i just like moved yeah. that energy over here and like you know that's why i love microdosing too because it's a really gentle segue 
Like there are people of the school that say you need to like take a lot and have this like really intense thing happen. And I really don't believe that. I believe like it looks different for everyone. I mean, some people, all they really need or can handle is like a sub perceptual dose, like where they can't even feel it, but the mushroom is on board. Um, so yeah. it's a really, really personal journey. And even if you don't decide to take it, that's okay too. Um, you know, if you're still, you can be interested in something and not partake also, and you might change your mind later. So there's no, and then like, there's other people, it's like, they want to take more. And I'm like, there's no stigma with that either. But if you take more, just make sure that you're in a good place and you're safe, you know, yeah. maybe you have somebody set and setting or everything. Exactly. <laughs> the more you take, the more important the set and setting become. Yeah. So, um, but I will say like the plant spirit medicine thing, like, yes, it can sound like kind of woo or crazy. Mm -hmm. I, if you asked me about it 10 years ago, I would have been like, cool. Like in concept. Yeah, sure. Cause I've always been very nature oriented. Yeah. But it wasn't until I've taken a lot of mushrooms. <laughs> the mushrooms were the gateway for me to understand that a, that a rose has a spirit. And that's my personal understanding. And I, you know, no one else has to feel that way. But the more I, I commune with the sacred plants and fungi, I realize that they're all sacred and they all hold so much wisdom. But it's different than talking to a person because a plant, yeah. it doesn't talk in the same way that we do a mushroom they talk in different ways so and people don't yeah and people don't get this this idea that you know the the mushrooms which you see above ground their rooting system is this mycelium network and there's been science done to show that the the mushrooms connect the entire forest floor right there and obviously you know this i'm not speaking to you i'm speaking to the audience but they they're connected to the entire forest floor and they're communicating to the point where if there is a fire in the forest on the far end, the mycelium network of the mushrooms will communicate to the trees to turn their leaves a little bit. And again, it's not the greatest defense mechanism in the world, but they're trees, they can't move. So they do what they can, but the mushrooms communicate to the other life in the forest to prepare for what's about to happen. Um, and, and the science behind some of the effects that these things are having, and I don't, I don't know if you're comfortable lumping like MDMA together with mushrooms as turn in terms of being beneficial medicines. Cause I know one is a lab made product and the other one is an earth medicine. But what they're finding is that people with uh, depression, PTSD, they took military folks, uh, war veterans who had PTSD and gave them, I think it was three sessions of MDMA where they would take the MDMA, sit with a therapist and talk. And when those three sessions were over and, and up to this moment, PTSD isn't something we've been able to get rid of. People can learn how to cope with it. They can learn to kind of have tools to, to minimize it, but they couldn't get rid of it. And what they found was that 76% of soldiers would completely eliminate their uh, PTSD over the course of this three session sit down with MDMA and a therapist. Mushrooms, similar result uh, in terms of depression. And I've got more than one friend. I've got friends who have had depression, uh, at times would even have suicidal ideology. And they went on a mushroom trip. And when they came out of that, and this is separate friends, separate occasions. Um, when they came out of that, they would, they had no more depression, like it was gone. And so when you speak to this idea that this neuroplasticity and creating new gateways in the brain, 
using conscious altering tools seem to be deeply effective at helping us uh, take our trauma and our, our, our inner self and kind of parse those out and deal with the trauma and, and come away healthier. So to all the things you're saying, I, I just want the audience to see there is deep value in um, these tools and what they hold for the future. And it, and we've had these stigmas and perceptions about them, but I think we're finally at a moment where we're letting the science and the data rule. And it seems apparent as the results are coming back. Again, we'll speak in a little bit about some of the precautions, but on the front end, the, the information that we're getting about this uh, is that these tools are just deeply helpful to people um, overcoming kind of the unhealthiness inside of them, dealing with trauma that's been handed to them and coming out much healthier human beings. Yeah. I like what you said, uh, like parsing things out and um, having like a healthy <clears throat> objective um, viewpoint sort of. Um, I love the metaphors um, in nature and in our inner world. Like you were talking about the mycelium being like a messenger in the forest and um, something that unifies like the trees for all around. And uh, it really like alludes to the oneness um, that we can feel when we, we consume the sacred mushroom, um, you know, feeling connected, like to everything and not feeling so alone, perhaps. Um, another thing is like in the cultivation of fungus, um, there's a lot of cleaning that takes place, like cleaning up, cleaning the cultures, cleaning them, cleaning them and allowing what's good to grow. And um, I find that mushrooms are cleanup. Also, there, there are certain mushrooms that they use for bioremediation, not just in nature, but think about if you take a resinous polypore, which they can clean up and they can clean up a toxic spill in nature with that mushroom. If you take that into your body, what is that going to do? It's going to clean. And the mushroom, the psilocybin mushroom, the sacred blue mushroom can help us clean our mind and clean, clean out like these old patterns and yeah. allow for new growth. Because I really believe that it seems to me that um, the healing, like it comes from within, like it's inside of us. But if we're not in a state where we can, you know, heal, if we're all stressed out, verklempt, stuck in a trauma pattern, how are we expected to heal? We have to get yeah. to that place. So like when we take sacred plants and fungi, it kind of like, helps us be more objective, I think. And um, I was just listening to something yesterday talking about, I mean, all these amazing like ancient teachings have told us that like, we are not our thoughts. Like we are not, that is not us. We are the observer, you know? And like, it's such a powerful message, but to actually be able to hear that, like really, and let it resonate can be very difficult. Like you can understand it in concept, but until it clicks, it, it just doesn't. So sometimes it's beneficial to take on a mushroom on board that can help you like just understand that. And it doesn't necessarily take a huge trip to get there. And it's not maybe going to stick for a long time. But once you get that that view, like that perspective once and you really feel it, it could change everything. And, uh, and sometimes it does. I mean, I, I've had experiences with, I, again, my most foundational experiences in my life, ayahuasca and uh, MDMA. 
And both of those, the things I learned about myself and about what I needed to, how I needed to show up in the outside world, um, what I was hiding, what I was uh, unhealthily, un in an unhealthy way putting off, it, those two moments in time, I walked away from those experiences an absolutely changed person ready to dive into my life in a whole new way. And I wouldn't trade those experiences for the world. Amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. And you asked me like how I felt about the synthetic um, MDMA or MDA. Um, so a lot of the synthesis is based on a natural analog. And I was not a huge fan. I mean, I've been on my synthetic journeys for sure and, and brought back a lot of wisdom from them. Um, the MDMA is amazing. Um, MDA is is like MDMA, but it's uh, got one methyl missing. So it's not as like um, stimulating. Um, but MDMA, as people know it, um, it is a synthetic chemical. Um, but I think that like, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. If you don't have to take it every day, if you take something one time and it changes you and you no longer have PTSD, I mean, how... How is that a bad thing? Yeah. And we all have, good. and we all have so much, we don't know it, but we all are carrying so much trauma that goes back to our childhood. You pointed to that earlier that, that we're all carrying stuff and we don't know it exactly, but whatever the, the things that happened in our childhood where we, we came to it innocently, we expected the world to, to treat us a certain way and it doesn't react in a healthy way. And so we develop these mechanisms that protect ourselves. We and some of them are uh, healthy, maybe at least at the time, to keep us safe. Others tend to sort of manipulate or coerce the world into being something it's not, so that we can be in control and feel safe. But these medicines help us to really kind of figure out what what happened to us. I think when we're younger, and to to maybe for the first time really sit with those things and deal with them. Absolutely. Well, the altered state of consciousness is something that shamanic, like indigenous cultures have found value in since like the dawn of humanity. I mean, if you've studied um, Terrence McKenna at all, he's pretty mainstream when it comes to like psychedelics. Um, stoned ape theory. Yeah, the stoned ape theory. I mean, it's more than a theory. Like scientifically speaking, we have nicotinic receptors. We have an endocannabinoid system. We have the serotonin system, which the mushrooms are clearly, clearly working on. And we have all these things. That, I mean, it just seems so clear that we were, we grew up with the plants and the fungi. I mean, we've been consuming them. Like a person will be following the cows, like these nomadic cultures, like you were saying, and they're going to eat every single thing. They're going to try it all. I mean, it's just the nature of humans. Look at kids. They put everything in their mouth. So once they figure out that this mushroom, you know, grows their brain and, and provides insight and they have like a shamanic experience from it, well, then now they know that's what that does. And they kept doing it. I mean, the mushrooms grow on every continent and all of these ancient traditions, like in ancient religions, I am really yet to find one that doesn't have roots in uh, psychoactive plants and fungi. Honestly, like they say the Inuit didn't have um, a psychoactive plant or fungal medicine. And that's just, oh, there we go. I love that picture. That's from um, uh, 
that's on the cover of a, 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 a attorney who works with plant medicine churches. Um, his name's Greg Lake. Is that where you got that? That's the that's the cover of his book. Yeah, Jim sure. Figora is the artist, and I ordered okay. this, and I have a I have a framed copy of this up on my on my living room wall. Nice. But the Stone Ape theory and what you're talking about, I just wanted folks to kind of get a glimpse of of that. But this idea that that our primate ancestors at some point encountered uh, conscious altering tools, and it it may have provided the additional uh, information that would have allowed, uh, primates to begin to develop, uh, a, a much more sentient consciousness, which would have led to, again, evolution, then becoming human beings. And, and there isn't, there isn't perfect evidence for this, but it is a proposed theory. And, uh, there are a lot of folks who, who find this to be, um, plausible or possible. And like you're saying, the receptors in the brain certainly seem to be receptive to these medicine tools. Absolutely. Well, if you believe in infinity, then anything's possible, right? There you go. <laughs> it's just a matter of choice. And uh, I think that the mushrooms can help clarify the choices we make. I mean, I can't, nothing, these mushrooms have not harmed me. There's few things in life that, you know, don't take their toll, but in a positive way. And some of the journeys I've been on have been harrowing mostly because my, my internal situation wasn't good, you know, and my set and setting wasn't well thought out, but I still grew from those moments immensely. And some of the, the hardest journeys I've been on have been the most clarifying, the, the best, had the best outcome brought me the mm. closest to myself and mm. understanding and compassion and love really gratitude, you know, gratitude for this plane. I mean, take a big dose of mushrooms and tell me that when you come down, you're not like, yeah. Oh, thank God. All right. My, there's my bed. There's my dog. I'm good. Here is the kitchen. Like, cool. Yeah. Like I don't like doing the laundry, but man, I love it. You know, I just, I love that there's something to hold on to because there's, you can go far out there. You know, this yeah, is totally. awesome. Being totally. able to move around in this body and like do all this stuff. Of course, it's like, it has its ups and downs, but I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Like my partner always says, like, this is the earth is like the party. You know, this is where you rub up against things and you feel it and you, you really feel the stuff. So mm, it's, I love ooh, it. it's not boring. I love it. You, you'd mentioned some of these ancient traditions. Um, anything else you want to add there in terms of how these medicines have been used over, you know, not just centuries, but almost assuredly thousands of years. Millennia. It's, yeah. I mean, there's document right behind me. I don't know if you can see it. This is the Utatono Codex. This is a pictograph from Mixtec, Mexico, um, Mexican, ancient Mexican culture. It's like older than the Aztec, older than the Mayan. And what's going on here is that the, the man, the guy, he's on a journey. So he, different symbols here. I, I'm super grateful. I have someone in my life that ha has explained this to me. He's a mushroom historian and he could do it way better than I can, but I'll try. So he gets the mushrooms on board. He meets with, he becomes be mushroomed and he meets with all these like earth and 
sky beings and he kind of like goes into this altered state where he's meeting with entities like you've described and um, he meets Quetzalcoatl and in the beginning there's reeds and they're untied and at the end he like falls in a hole and then at, when he comes out of his journey the reeds are tied so this is to say that like he's made some amends with understanding and the person who gave, sent me this um he knows that these ancient ceremonial mushroom journeys were healing for the mind, body, and the spirit, all of it. It would heal the body. Once the body is healed and the mind, then the spirit can heal. So this is, this is a very ancient religion. And this is like a, this is a polytheistic religion from Mex the Mexican, Mexico area, pre-Hispanic. There's other polytheistic religions in the um, in the Paci uh, South Pacific Islands. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if this would fall into the same um, like polytheistic thing, but like pagan religions in um, the Nordic tradition, like the Celts, um, people who worshipped like the different nature spirits like Bridget and um, kind of like the Scottish Highlands area. Then that kind of came from like the Germanic. So there's so much history. And then of course, like Native American religions that are, you know, nature based and, but they do revolve around or create uh, the create the creation, the creator. Um, they are also very connected with the plants and fungi and they use them for healing, not just, um, like in the physical form, but they can like communicate with the plants and the fungi for healing. And I know that sounds like what maybe sounds very wild, but, um, but it is what it is. I mean, I have so, I have a huge library. I love to read. And, um, I have lots of books about, um, the history of Christianity with mushrooms. Super fascinating. Um, there are, like, is, was it the immortality key? Is that one of the, I'm trying to think offhand, one of the books that talks about how when you look for it, there is tons of early evidence within early Christian art and relics that point to uh, much of the rituals involving medicines, plant absolutely. medicines. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I believe that was written by R. Gordon Wasson, and that book is pretty difficult to get your hands on these days. Um, that was his book primarily about the Amanita muscaria mushroom, the sacred red mushroom. And a lot of the Christian uh, religion goes back to the Amanita, but I believe also the sacred blue psilocybin mushroom. There's, there's a multitude of books. There's some codex like pictographs in England. I can't remember it right now, but there's, <laughs> there's pictures of the blue mushroom with the Adam and Eve story with the healing of the lepers. And, you know, I'm not like trained in, Christian theology. And if I was, I still probably wouldn't know about this, but there's a lot of theory that delves into the, the old texts and, and, and really like mostly around the time when like Jesus came into the picture, like it got heavy on the mushrooms. Like people believe that G, the G, there are people, and I'm not saying this is the truth or not. I'm just saying this exists. People believe that, you know, Christ, Christianity, as we know it, like with Jesus is a mushroom cult based around the Amanita muscaria mushroom as the sacrament, because it's a real sacrament. Like these mushrooms and plants, they actually cause a spiritual experience. It's not like taking a piece of bread. It's not a metaphor. If you take psilocybin mushrooms, you're going to have a journey. There are very few people that if they take it, that nothing's going to happen. Yeah. 
There are and, some. And where you go isn't exactly up to you, is it? No. No, I, I heard once the medicine is the teacher and uh, uh, the medicine will take you, it will tell your brain to take you where you need to go to do the work that you need to do. Exactly. It's not what you, where you want to go. It's probably where you need to go. Yeah. And it can show us, like you mentioned before, how we are not only part of the problem, but we're also part of the solution, if not all of it. <laughs> it's beautiful, though, because it puts you in the driver's seat. You know, once you realize, like, I'm doing this to myself, like, now you have a way out. It's helpful. Yeah, totally. Um, what is it? To be a mushroom medicine minister, to be priestess Gabby Chai Bird, what what does that uh, what is that calling uh, like like how does that work like what like what does a service look like how often do people meet um, how how fast is it growing I, I got to imagine there's a large growing number of people who want to. Uh, in a safe way, experience these plant medicines. How does how does being a medicine minister work? So um, I kind of like fell into this position um, because I really had no other choice. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I can't do what I do unless I'm a priestess. I will go to jail. It's sad, but true. However, I don't do things just because the government tells me to. It has to be real. And I, like I said, have always been very interested in religions, esoteric religions. I've always been a very, I've always felt very connected to the spirit, the universal oneness. Um, and I've always been fascinated by all religions. I've studied many different ones. Um, and you know, I finally, I think I just, what it was is I just stepped into the role that, that was meant for me in this lifetime. I just, I just stepped into it. And since then things have only been getting better and better for me. Like Are I folks, do you meet with folks one-on-one -on -one or is it a matter of like uh, a Sunday service where, you know, 20 people show up and, and you essentially spend the afternoon on a, on a, on a medicine kind of I don't know so, what the right term is, but like a vision quest or whatever. So we have uh, several different ways that we do it. We have an ongoing group chat where we, it's like a support network. Um, we also do a zoom meeting. Um, we try to do it twice a month. Sometimes it's a little bit less depending on how busy people are. Um, but we congregate on zoom and I do one-on-one -on -one counseling as well. Um, Right now, I have a on my uh, minister on our ministry webpage. We have a fundraiser going on to purchase the land for our ceremonial yurt. So that is something that's coming up in the future for uh, for congregating in person. And we do congregate in person, but um, we are on our journey right now to having our own piece of land where we can invite um, people for a group ceremony in a safe and sacred way. So right now, um, if people want to join the church, they can join and they can be part of our zoom meetings and they can be updated as well as to, you know, what's going on. We do ceremony in yurts and spaces, but so far we don't own our own uh, place to do that. So that is like, top on our um, manifestation agenda. 
and it's coming along well. We've had some amazing donors. So, so we're definitely getting there. Yeah. It's amazing that we're at a place where you can do this because 10 or 20 years ago, um, there just would have been no room for something like this to happen. And so I'm really, really quite impressed that, that we're, we're progressing as a, as a country to give people safe spaces to kind of explore their inner mind. Um, See, we have been able to do this though, because the constitution is old. It's pretty old. It's like what the 1700s. Um, <clears throat> I could be wrong. I'm not so great with the details. But, 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 they, but would they, like in the 1960s or seventies, it would have been way difficult to try to put something like this in place. And you would have had so many more obstacles. Yeah. We would have been looked at like as a cult, you know, or something like that. And um, we probably, probably could have gotten in trouble, but there has, there's a history of people having cannabis churches that are quite old. And, you know, the thing, the problem with it is, is that people get into it because they just want to do drugs and that doesn't hold up. Like there has to actually be like, you know, meat and bones behind it. Like you have to actually have community support and, you know, take it really in a sacred way and ask that of your parishioners. Like everyone who joins the church signs an agreement that they say they'll take this in a sacred way. Yeah. Love it. You said early on in the very beginning of the conversation that the folks who are administering these medicines, uh, as medicine ministers, as mushroom medicine ministers are uh, predominantly female. And I'm just curious why that is. Um, I have hunches, but I want to, I want to hear what your thoughts are. And um, I just find that interesting. And I wonder maybe if there's anything else on, on that kind of uh, part of the conversation that you'd want to share. Well, um, I think that the feminine, like the yin and the Shakti, it's kind of like, it's like a space holder. It's like a, the yin is like a vessel and the yang is like action. And it's like, it's like penetrative where I think that the ceremony does well with a balance of both. And we all have like both inside of us, whether we're a man or a woman or something else, we're like, we all have like certain aspects of us that are yin and yang, but like, like I was saying before, when you want to, you know, get more in touch with yourself and bring yourself to a more healing space, like sometimes you just need the space, the space to do that. And the yin energy is like the container. It's like the space. It's just holding support. That's it. It's not like putting any, any external thing on it. It's just, just holding a space for someone else. Like I like the word facilitator or even like space holder or, you know, sitter, like just someone who's just there in a supportive way. You don't have to be like doing like crazy stuff and putting your energy on it. It's not um, necessary. It's just like the more hands off almost that you can be for somebody, the more they can take their own journey. It's so personal and so, so delicate, so sensitive, you know? So um, I think like women are pioneering right now in this. And um, maybe it's just like a sign of the times too, that it's like, you know, a time where we like, you know, take initiative in the, in the spirits, spiritual world and, and mother Gaia. I mean, we call nature, mother Gaia, mother nature, like it's a feminine energy and these plant and fungal medicines come from the mother, mother nature. So it makes sense like metaphorically that women would be working, working with it. And 
like I've noticed, like I'm just like more, more, a little more sensitive. Like when we get hit with sickness in my house, it's always, I get hit the hardest and like, I have to seek out like the, you know, I'm the one with the back pain and all this stuff. And I'm not saying men don't suffer too. They do. And men don't have it easy either. So, you know, graciously commend all the men. Um, and I appreciate my man so much. I mean, he does the yang energy is amazing. He's so strong, but like, I really feel every sensitive like movement. So it's just natural that I would like gravitate to like learning about the medicines and how to heal, heal, you know, my family, myself, and then reverberating out into the community. So I see that with a lot of women, um, can say like healers, but you know, facilitators. Yeah. Somebody here said the feminine is more apt to surrender, which is vital in this journey. I, I think we should note a difference, which is, and again, I don't, I don't, again, I'm not also, I'm also trying not to pick on men generally, but we tend to, the way societies tend to work is they form for the most part, there's exceptions form patriarchy. And, and when men seem to be leading, there seems to be this certitude, like I've got the answer. Let me tell you what the answer is. And so most of the religious systems that are out there that have been created by men very much claim to have the truth. You come to me, I'll give it to you. I'll put, I'll put the stamp on it. You'll know what everything is and what it means. And it just seems as though women have more of that uh, intuition to allow all of us to kind of figure out inside us what's going on. And, and so, whereas in most uh, Western religions, people are being, you come to the religion and the religion tells you all the answers. The difference here, I think, is that plant medicine, what you're doing and what other folks in your position are doing is saying, like, take the medicine and let it be the teacher. Uh, Kumari, which was kind of a funny documentary where a guy pretended to be a, a, a guru, his mantra was always the gurus inside of you. And I think these types of, uh, I don't want to say ideology, because there really isn't an ideology to them. But the idea that you can take plant medicine is never about, hey, here's the answer. It's rather you go off and have your own experience and you figure out your own truths and uh, we'll be happy to hear them when you come back, but nobody's going to have them imposed on us as the absolute truth. Like everyone's having a unique experience and they're all learning for, for themselves. Absolutely. I love yeah. uh, what before the crow's nest mentioned, the feminine is more apt to surrender, which is vital in this journey. It's yeah. true. But, you know, I will say like, you know, even from my husband, like I've learned so much about femininity from him. Like he's got the Shakti too. Like he's taught me things. Like I feel like I was like had toxic Yang. And I'm not saying that Yang is toxic. Like I appreciate it so much. It's that fire that like pushes us. It's our passion. It's so beautiful. The, the synergy is really we need, we need the yin and the yang, you know, I am not like down with men. I, I love men and um, I love women. And I think uh, men have Shakti, women have Shakti, men have yang, women have yang, but the surrender is so important with these, with these organic technologies, because if you don't surrender, it can get very painful, you know, very difficult to navigate that um, psychedelic space. It can, become difficult. So, um, someone that is like helpful being there for someone on a psychedelic journey, you know, will help create the space, but allow them to like, just feel safe and be able to like reach into those depths. So, love it. Love it. Um, yeah. let's talk for a moment about safe practices. I, I remember doing a podcast, uh, 
maybe a couple of years ago for this Almost Awakened podcast. And I was really early on in my exposure to plant medicines. And I made the comment that, you know, of all, you know, all the opiate problems we have in this country, all of the other issues we have with certain drugs and addictions, I, I made the comment that there's mushrooms are like the safest uh, um, medicine to essentially take to go off and have this sort of experience that no one's ever, uh, you know, you can't die from doing an overdose on mushrooms. And the very next day, uh, a father called me and he called me, I was at work and he called it on the work phone. Cause I, I always give out my, I give out a little bit of my personal information so people can come visit me at my, the job I used to work at. And so listeners would stop in and we'd have good conversations, but this father called on the phone and he said, Bill, I listened to your episode this week. You talked about mushrooms. You talked about how safe they were, that no one could ever overdose on them. He goes, for the most part, I agree with you, but you got to be really careful. He said, I, my son, my, my wife and I had to deal with this situation where my son took mushrooms and he seemed to have had a, a good uh, journey on those that, that night. But then a few weeks later, he decided to do them again. And he said, it was a nightmare. He said, my son's, um, his, his like approach to life, he had some sort of breakdown and his approach to life just completely fell apart and he was not himself. And it took the mother and the father, and they were very supportive of him. It took the mother and the father and his father, and this is a, a young adult, like a 21 year old, uh, young man. And, uh, it took them like two or three years of helping their son, getting him, you know, therapy, getting him to kind of talk out what was going on for him to kind of get back to kind of a normalcy of how his brain worked. And, uh, it, it gave me pause because we're so often in this kind of a conversation rooting for these things because they are tools and they are so much better than much of what's being uh, prescribed by doctors to deal with stuff. But there are cautions here too. And we ought to spend a little bit kind of talking that out. Um, maybe speak to us about some of the precautions that you've come across or things that you'd like to say uh, at this part of the conversation to at least slow people down and make sure that people are making smart decisions. Yeah, it's super important. So I'm really glad you touched upon this. Um, I think that um, first and foremost, like baseline, know that what you're taking is, is what it is. Like, make sure that you know that that is psilocybe cubensis. You know, don't go into the forest, find a brown mushroom and think, you know, there's a lot to mycology. Mm. And I'm going to go a step beyond that and say, where you get it from makes a huge difference. Like you may not be at the point where you believe in plant spirit medicine or fungal spirit medicine, or you may never think in that way. And that's fine. But does this mushroom like come from a clean environment? Is the person that grew it responsible is because it has an energy and not just that, but like there can be contaminants in it. There can be bacteria mold. You know, you just want to know that what you have is good, that it's clean that it is what it is. And uh, that's like baseline. So beyond that, there are like certain health conditions that can be aggravated by psilocybin mushrooms. And I would say that like a fragile mental state um, can have, or emotional state can definitely um, put you in a bad way if you take too many mushrooms. So just as any other 
substance in the world, dosage is everything. Like there are more hospitalizations from aspirin than like any other thing. And yet it's in everybody's house. We give it to our children. So dosage is hugely important. You really need to, you know, educate yourself, reach out to people, reach out to the church, reach out to your friend that has done it, that you trust, you know, read about it. There's so many resources. There's so many books, educate yourself before you just gobble down some mushrooms that someone gave you. Like, I think education is huge. And that's why I really appreciate the chance to come on here and talk to you in front of your large audience, because I just think it's so important to spread the information, you know, good information from people that have done it and have done it a lot. Like we need to share. And that's like the micro support group that, um, that the church runs. We're there like talking with each other and getting info, asking questions. Like you're not alone. You don't have to do it alone, you know, reach out. And, uh, and that's why it's so important, important for us to release the stigma on these plant and fungal medicines, because the more we think it's like naughty or bad or that we're alone, the more apt we are to get hurt with it. Like, we yeah, need to not to use it responsibly. Absolutely. Exactly. And if you are having a crisis, like you need to be able to call someone that's going to ground you and not be like ashamed that you took mushrooms, you know, and that yeah. person, you know, hopefully will be understanding and has had their own, you know, journey and stuff. It can aggravate like a, um, a fragile mental or, or physical or emotional state. It really can. So you just really need to be careful. Dosage is so important. Start low and slow, build yeah. up, like get to know the mushroom, build a relationship with the mushroom. You don't need to just dive in because someone you heard of took 10 grams. Like, please don't do that. Please. It will be crazy. You know, you can get there, you can do that, but the set and setting is going to be super important. So I'm a huge fan of microdosing because it's like so much more accessible it's so much more gentle. You can ease your way in. And then as you go along, you know, cleaning yourself up, basically expanding yourself, then maybe you'll be ready for a bigger journey. There um, are people who do 10 grams, huh? There are people that do 50 grams. Wow. I've, I've done, uh, the closest I came to a hero's dose was uh, four <laughs> and a half. And, uh, yeah, I think I don't know if I would want to go above that until I'm, you know, I just I just don't know that I would. That, well, it depends on the strain yeah. too, because if you're eating like a, an old, you know, golden teacher, um, and you take four grams, it's going to be a lot different than like a recently harvested albino penis envy. I'm telling yeah. you, that can be three times the strength. You really need to know, like, know what, what you're know what strains you're using. Know what strains you're using, but the internet isn't even the best place to find that out because there's all these variations, like. You should know the person who provided it to you at least, but in some degree, know about it, have the info, demand the info yeah. or move yeah. on to something that yeah. you can get information about. I love that. And like you're saying, I mean, if, if people are prone to, again, these are, they are finding that these are much better treatments for depression, PTSD, other types of uh, those kinds of things, anxiety. But I think also if you're prone to depression, if you have schizophrenia in your family, if you um, if you suffer from a lot of anxiety, yes, these things could fix that, at least in the cases of depression or anxiety. But you, when you have those kinds of uh, ailments, you probably want to go really slow and talk it out with folks and do a ton of research. And like you're saying, don't absolutely don't dive off into the deep end. Yeah, just be really careful because it can take a while. Like if you get ungrounded with any type of psychedelic, it can take a while to come down. But also, you know, like let's release the stigma about the dark night of the soul. Sometimes you have to go through shit. You're in it. 
you know, you got to go through it and then get out on the other side. And so if you are in a place where you took mushrooms and you had a rough time with it and you're not feeling yourself like, you know, have faith that that is going to get better, that you are going to come through that and, you know, for the better and have a, a deeper understanding that that's part of your journey and that maybe in the future your experience will help others so they either don't have to go through that or if they are going through that, you know, that you can be there for them. And, and that's why, like, when things are difficult in life, like, there's always value in it. There's always value in that. And um, the hard things are where we grow the most. I will say, like, a peaches and cream is, like, not where you do the real growing. But um, I, I definitely, you know, would try to avoid, like, putting myself or anyone else in any kind of danger. Like, I am conservative with dosing. And that's because I've had journeys that were absolutely nuts. Yeah. Where I you know, traumatized my family. And really, it was not cool. Peed my pants. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. But you know what? That's what I had to do. That's what I did. I felt the need to do it. I did it. Yeah. And I'm glad I did. But I'm so, all right. Yeah. And so we should note that while I, I don't know, again, I don't know what the percentage is. I don't want to throw out numbers as if I know it. But let's say the thousand people take mushrooms. There's going to be, you know, one, two, three of those people who have, um, who not only have a, maybe a bad experience, which bad trips happen all the time, but when you come off of the, off the medicine, you're not the same and not necessarily for the better. And, and so while the large, far and wide, large percentage of people will have no problem taking them, coming back to reality and resuming your normal life, having learned things, we should at least note that there are, there is a small number of people who seem to be very adversely affected by these, these things. So there is a risk. And, and I don't think it's fair to say otherwise. And I know that you, you want to make sure that that's clear as well, Definitely. that folks should do all their research and it should be a personal decision and, and no one should feel pressured and everybody should start off with, uh, like you're saying, a smaller dosage to, to, to essentially um, test out kind of how they're going to handle those things. Yeah. And if someone is having an experience where they've had an adverse reaction, I would encourage that person to reach out too, like, yeah. and to try to like communicate with people in, in the psychedelic community. And maybe like, you know, you can do some like normalizing of what's going on with other people that it's called integration. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't want to do the dirty work. They want to feel like the euphoria and stuff, but they don't want to do like the deep, shadow work and it makes sense but um you don't want you can't really fly high in a good way unless you've like cleaned out the basement so um i think a lot of people that get trapped in that thing like they might be there might be something that they're avoiding that they need to like delve into a little bit more and um i'm not a doctor you know i'm not a medical doctor yeah. i am a yeah, priestess so i yeah. i have you know this is just like my religious advice i would say but you you can always reach out there's people going through it too there's so many people on this earth and you know there are support networks there are so many you can reach out to the ministry you can join the micro group and talk to people there if you're going through this but um the other thing i just want to mention really quickly is that if you have like an underlying heart condition you're going to want to be careful with mushrooms especially high doses i love that yeah um and my, again, just a little piece of advice is my first time doing, I did a ton of research and I'm also one who I, I don't tend to lose grips with reality. So even as I'm having these experiences, these, uh, with, with plant medicines, 
I will be off in the crazy, but I also know it's going to come to an end. And I really do sit in it and try to take it for what it's worth. And I'm not really worried about losing touch with reality. I, I know when some folks go in, um, I know people who are very different and their experience was very scary to them. The, the biggest fear that first time, and I knew it wasn't real, but I still couldn't get it out of my head, was that I thought it would last forever. I'm, I'm two and a half hours into a, a mushroom trip and I thought I'm going to be this way for the rest of my life. And, and in the moment, time is distorted. Yes. So you, in your head, you're like, oh man, I have to now figure out how I'm going to go to work like this, right? And, and uh, funny, but I also did the research. I knew that wasn't real, but I couldn't get that paranoid story out of my head. So for folks, again, do enough research that you're sort of aware that this, you know, this is going to last again with most of these, I think it essentially lasts about five hours on a mush on a mushroom trip. And when that comes to an end, maybe some strains are longer or shorter, but when it, you know, it will come to an end. And again, for 99.9995% of the population, you're going to return back to normal reality and you're not going to have any issues. And so the paranoia that comes with some of these things can be devastating and you need to, you'll cope with it much better when you understand that that's going to happen, perhaps. It's definitely a lesson in trust, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's not, it's not always easy out there, but um, it's magnifying. And, um, and the other thing I wanted to mention was that people who are on psych meds and um, other different kinds of medication, <laughs> Yes. The grounding is so important. Oh my gosh, it is. And it's important to take time between journeys too, so that you can reground and like reestablish trip paranoia comes in many forms. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, if people are taking other medications, it can definitely affect um, their reaction to the psilocybin. So um, yeah, it's just, once again, it's not like this is something you can go like ask your general practitioner about or your physician you know they don't no normally know much about it like it's like we have to reach out to like different communities but there are a lot of people with a lot of experience and there's people that are utilizing the mushroom to like wean off of other more toxic mm. habits the cool thing about uh, microdosing is that you can treat like like once again i am not a medical doctor do your own research but you can you can work with your depression with psilocybin right away that very day you don't have to wait two weeks for it to start working and then not be able mm. to stop taking it for three years like and then have adverse effects when you stop mushrooms are so much more free like you can take it you cannot take it and like with the dosing there's a lot of protocol out there people do like three days on one day off there's a lot of like rules i've noticed around it and i don't really subscribe to that those rules like People ask me, I'll be like, well, you could try like this much and then, um, you know, take some breaks. I do recommend taking breaks if you can or want to. But if you're deep in a depression and you need to take mushroom microdoses every day, like I think that's OK. I went long periods of time where I took a lot of mushrooms and I, I just needed it. And now I don't. Now I'm like on and off. But um, but there were times when I really needed a lot and there was stigma that I had to deal with with that. But, you know. I was, I'm grateful that I had the good sense to just do what I needed to do, but, um, trying, you know, trying to stay grounded will at least make it easier, like to be a human and not like here on planet earth and not like, I've noticed that some people, when they take it in excess, they really start to get like really out there and, 
it's not that it's that they're wrong. Like if you're telling me you're a wizard and a druid and you're doing this and that, like that's cool. And you, I'm sure you are, but at the same time, like that's not going to jive with like most people here. So you're going to mm -hmm. like probably start to like have some issues on the material yeah. plane and you could get hurt. Like your physical body could get hurt. Or you could hurt someone else in all yeah. honesty. It's not like, you know, it's powerful stuff. It's not complete. Anything with that much potency is not like safe, you know? So I want to talk about the strains, but before we do that, you mentioned <laughs> microdosing and I want to say a few things here and get your thoughts. Um, again, uh, different strains, I'm sure different uh, dosages, but again, if we just take kind of the basic strains that most people are, are exper have experience with, um, you know, in my head, I think like a normal dose is kind of like two and a half grams and a hero's dose is five grams. When we're talking microdosing, we are talking like such as like a 10th or a 20th of that. And Sam Harris and other folks who have talked on this topic uh, mentioned that often microdosing, you won't have any perceived alteration in your reality. You'll just notice that your mood is better and that you're more creative. And some critics of the idea will propose that like, that's just the placebo effect. That's not real. But as Sam Harris points out, we are absolutely sure that at some point, a certain dosage of mushrooms will absolutely give you an altered reality. So there is a point at which whatever the microdose is, that there are imperceptible to the conscious mind, perhaps, but you, but you would notice these kind of micro shifts in your mood or in your creativity. But maybe talk for a moment about microdosing uh, and anything you want to say about that. So there is the subperceptual dose, which is what I think you're talking about, where you can take some mushrooms on board and it's not enough to, you may forget you even took it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of different things can, um, can add to that. Like if you take the microdose with food, then it can be more subtle. Um, if you take less, I'd say like a subperceptual dose of most land race strains, which are like traditional strains that grow in the wild. I'm not talking about penis envy. But see, even there, people get, there can be like a really strong golden teacher. Each mushroom is different. Mm -hmm. So there is like, you know, they call them magic mushrooms for a reason. There is a shamanic element to this that there's things that you just can't explain with science. I'm, maybe someday they will, but we're, we're like ahead of that right now. And so having that trust in, in, in it um, is part of it. Um, and having the trust in the, in where you got it is so important because in your moment of doubt, that's, you're going to come back to that. Yeah. So you don't want to take this stuff and have any doubt about any piece because your brain might play on those stories and that will, that will detract from you getting, uh, the journey you, that you need. Uh, and it, and it could even just, just be a horrible experience. Exactly. Like if you feel really good about where you got it from, that is an amazing start. So um, if you're taking like 0 0.08 of a gram or less, I would say for most people that's subperceptual, but for some people it's not. For some people they can feel that too, really. Um, I like to take a microdose that is like at least 0.15 to 0.18 and I like to uh, blend strains. I'll blend a traditional strain with like something stronger. I like to feel the microdose. Um, I take like, I'll take multiple capsules at once, like, and then not do it for a while. Like I might have a week where I do it and then like, I won't do it for like two weeks or something, or I'm working with other plants or something like that. 
Um, but I'd say like 0.12, 0.15 of a gram. And the microdoses that I make are, um, I do a lot of synergy with other medicinal mushrooms. Um, I forage a lot of my own and, um, I work with like, for example, I work with cordyceps, lion's mane, um, reishi, reishi spores, birch polypore, turkey tail. Like I work with a lot of mushrooms and in the microdoses, I will like use synergy to, um, create an experience. Some that are like more of a heady, like experience is good for focus. And then some are like more mind body, some are more relaxing. So like, I, I kind of, it's a healing art. Um, but when I like size someone up for microdosing, like I take a lot of things into account and actually there's like an optional form that people can fill out that I can like get a better idea for what's going on with them because certain things will affect them. Like it's not just cut and dry, really. It's like, um, diagnosing like the person and I'm not a medical doctor, but like taking in their energy, what they've been through. Have they had a, a spiritual breakthrough? Like, are they very sensitive to substances? Like, how, how big are they? Is it a big guy? Is it a, a small woman or, you know, a big woman or a small guy? Um, all of this plays in. Are they on other medications? Like, do they take a huge question for me is do they take personal responsibility for their health and for their well being? If they don't, I don't think that they should microdose at all. Like, you're not there yet because it, it won't it won't be helpful. Um, really like this is something that is like when people come into it, they need to be ready to like accept that they are both part of the problem and part of the solution. Like it's huge. Like if you're saying like, oh, well, I have like, you know, everything is like everything that people are doing to me and all this stuff that it's not, you know, it's not me. Then like the microdose can either be scary or it may not even work. Like I've seen it where people are like, they just keep taking more and more and it just doesn't, they're like, I don't feel it. I'm like, and then they give up and they fall off to the wayside. And that's fine. Um, but but there's also something called a stamate stack, which I don't really I don't like to use niacin in my microdoses because it's uncomfortable for people. Like I think that for for my like style of healing art, like I prefer people to like feel comfortable in their body when they're microdosing. So I don't I don't tend to put in anything that um that is like, uh, promotes like discomfort in the body. Um, but yeah, like the cordyceps will like make it a more uplifting experience. The lion's mane will more make it a more heady experience. And I believe that the psilocybin can catalyze like small amounts of other medicinal mushrooms to like work better even. So, um, if you're ready to like do the work yourself and, um, you, you're ready to accept responsibility for your healing and, and you want to get to know yourself more, microdosing is going to work really well for you. But, um, if you are like not ready for that yet and you'd rather do something else, then, um, I could see it like not being, yeah, personal and responsibility and accountability. Exactly. That's what it's all about. Cause we're, we're doing this to get to know ourselves better. That's, that's this, you know, to me, that's the spiritual process to know your, know thyself, to know thyself. It's comes from within. It's your totally. choice. Yeah. And so let's spend a few minutes then talking about, you know, the, the blends or the strains and maybe give our audience kind of a feel for what are the common ones out there and what are the ones that you're working with? 
So um, I really love the Landrace strains. There's a lot of people that um, they like the more newfangled, stronger stuff. And that's cool. That's great. I, I love it too. Like I love all of it as long as it's grown with love and compassion and in a clean environment with like good intentions. Um, I also love like wild strains, but um, I don't, I work more with those like on a personal level. Um, so let, like Cubenzies, a psilocybe Cubenzies, that is what's predominantly cultivated indoors. Um, it is everything from golden teachers to penis envy. There's Chitwan, there's Shakti. There, there's so many, so many crazy names. Pink Buffalo, I think is one of them. Um, stoned ape. I mean, there's so much, so much. And people have like mutated them and done all this stuff with them. And it's really like a beautiful art that people are doing. Um, but I really love the land race strains because they're old and they have history, like a rich traditional history. So I love the Mexican strains that come from the area of Huautla de Jimenez in Mexico. If you're familiar with um, Maria Sabina, have you heard of her? So R. Gordon Wasson, who wrote the Immortality Key book, he also wrote a book, several books about psilocybin. He was a banker. And he, he and his wife, Valentina, were also like amateur mycologists. They traveled down to Mexico and met Maria Sabina. And she was like the ultimate mushroom shamaness. Uh, she did like ceremonies in the dark. They were called veladas. And she would sing without instruments. And um, she gave mushrooms supposedly to like Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones. All these people <coughs> actually got her in trouble with their community. And her son was murdered. So there's a, it's powerful. It's powerful stuff. Um, doesn't always go well, but, um, but yeah, she's super famous. Um, there's tons of information in books about her, Maria Sabina. Um, but yeah, there's strains from that area, like the Mazatec um, culture of uh, rural Mexico. It's like in Southern Mexico, Oaxaca um, has a rich history with mushrooms. Mexico has a very rich history with mushrooms. So does the country Colombia. Um, they both of those places have like more strains of mushrooms growing and more species of mushrooms than like anywhere else in the world. Um, there's mushrooms that come from Nepal, psilocybin mushrooms. India is a place where there's famous strains come from. That's the um, the Malabar strain. Um, the Chitwan comes from the Himalaya, Nepal area. The there's African mushrooms. Um, and then there's like the golden teachers. Those are to me that resonates with like Colombia are very famous down there. But these are different strains of psilocybe cubensis, which grow in between like 65 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and they're saprophilic. They grow on dead or decaying material like poop, like cow dung. You know, that's that's the cubensis. They're wood loving mushrooms, but they're not usually like cultivated. People might do like an outdoor patch, but most of the ones that you're going to come into contact with for healing are the cubensis. Um, species. So um, yeah, the golden teachers are a great place to start. Um, they're just like straightforward. People have said that they they're called golden teachers because they have like a real powerful, like direct message for the person that takes them. Um, the, the Wala, the Mazatepec strain, I find to be like a very spiritual strain. They're unassuming. They're like kind of scraggly looking and small and um a little bedraggled looking, but they pack a punch. They last a long time. Um, that's the Mazatepec. Um, the Wala de Jimenez is known to have more tryptophan in its uh, tryptamine, you know, offerings. Tryptophan is a sleepy um, 
tryptamine. It's like what's in turkey makes yeah. you sleep after you after eat turkey. While you're watching the football game, out you go. <laughs> yeah. So like I'll make some like uh, sleepier like tinctures with Wella sometimes. Um, uh, and then there's like the the Colombian Red Sport. Like they all look different too. They look different. Um, but I really do love those land race strains. And then the Penis Envy is like a whole whole new thing. They started isolating the Penis Envy genetics like back in the '60s, and um, <clears throat> they're generally more difficult to cultivate. They take longer to grow, which um, which you know signify it, it alludes to the fact that they're going to be stronger like they're more potent it takes longer for them to grow so um they can be like up to you know an albino penis envy could be like three or four times stronger than a golden teacher so you do really want to know you know what's going on and if it's an older mushroom like how it was dried how quickly it was dried um there's just so much that goes into it you know um once the mushroom is picked it starts to lose its psilocin and things convert to psilocybin in the mushroom, which when you take it, it converts back to psilocin in the body. But if you eat a fresh mushroom and a dried mushroom, it does feel a lot different. Um, and the temperature at which you dry mushrooms. So I've experimented with all different drying temperatures. Um, it's kind of it's kind of personal preference because supposedly psilocybin doesn't degrade until about 500 degrees, which is why you can make a tea with mushrooms and get effects from it. You know, you can make a hot tea and put your mushroom in it and, and drink that tea. And that's a, that's a nice way to take mushrooms. Um, it's not as like jarring to the stomach. Um, and the trip kind of like can come on faster and go away faster with the tea. Um, than just eating like a dried mushroom. But um, yeah, there's just <coughs> lots of steps in the process um, where you can, you know, uh, where it can be made its own. Like, how do I describe it? It's a, it's an art. The cultivation is an art. And uh, a lot of like the person doing it, like goes into it, like what they believe to be best. So this is kind of like, you know, talking about knowing your, knowing your source. Yeah, we, we've gotten through, I think, most of the questions that we've uh, had set aside for you. I was going to ask you about sacred geometry, only because uh, my experience with <laughs> plant medicines, ayahuasca and mushrooms both, is that you have, at least at times, you have no choice but to see shapes in the coolest of shapes, in the coolest of colors, and and, and you know we're talking about the inner work that gets done, but we, I think I would be remiss if I didn't say on some level, the, there's a visual, there's an appreciation of a visual thing that's also happening that I think is, is if I'm honest, entertaining to some degree. Um, but very interesting that our brain does this thing where there, there is a certain set of geometrical shapes that a lot of people seem to, uh, have in their visual field when they're under plant medicines. And I just, just curious if you had any thoughts there. Oh, I think it's really amazing that you mentioned that and very potent. Um, so there's a book, it's called the cosmic serpent. When you take ayahuasca, a lot of people say that they see the snake in like a double helix and like in the, in modern medicine, they didn't discover DNA until like the fifties. So these are like indigenous shamans who have been seeing this double helix, which is like the blueprint of life 
since the dawn of ages. So it's amazing. And, and to this day, you know, we continue to see the snakes in the double helixes when we take <coughs> ayahuasca. I'm so sorry. My voice is finally tapping out. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll end here shortly. Okay. Um, but yeah, just like one <coughs> beautiful thing about mushrooms that people see often is the, um, the mandala. And there's people that believe that like we can heal with these wheels, like medicine wheels and mandalas, like moving through the chakras and clearing. The Ouroboros snake also is like life and death, the cycle of the circle, the, you know, it's complete. Um, so it's interesting that people will see these mandalas. And I do believe that there, there's a real magic to that. And it's probably transdimensional and things that there's no way that our, you know, human minds could really wrap around unless it was somehow explained to us. And um, some people have really powerful um, and potent ways to explain it. Um, and I'll leave it to them for now. But I think that the sacred geometry is absolutely um there you go. The double helix. That looks like an Alex Gray painting. Yeah, I was just trying to show like the snake there in the double helix. Uh, <laughs> you'll see this kind of portrayed in art. This is a picture of this is modern, of course, but the idea that Adam and Eve, that whatever they took off the tree was some sort of plant medicine and altered their consciousness. Notice they're in a, a more primitive ape-like form. And then you've got kind of that double helix being represented. So I just wanted folks to see. Right. And you also have the Ouroboros around each of their heads. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. So it is like a potent um, symbol symbology and something to um, I think that like we dismiss it a lot because we're not trained to think that way. But I think that there's a lot of potent medicine in that. And I think that nowadays it's coming to light a lot more the importance of sacred geometry. It's really interesting. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I, I, you're losing your voice. We'll kind of wrap mm -hmm. up here. We've gotten through most of the questions. Is there anything else kind of wrapping up? Is there anything other thoughts you want to share anything else you want to say otherwise uh really deeply appreciate the conversation today and to give people exposure again uh just for disclaimer purposes certainly not encouraging anybody to do anything illegal there are uh ways in which uh such as medicine teachers like gabby where you can get exposure to uh these medicine tools without breaking any rules or breaking any laws and again we're not doctors we're not certainly not able to tell you what you should or shouldn't do you should, if you, if you have any questions, you should seek a, a physician uh, and ask their, ask your questions there. And you should definitely do your research, proceed and make your own decisions about how you navigate this space. Yes. Thank you so much, Bill. It's been amazing talking with you and uh, sharing with your audience today. I really appreciate this opportunity and I love what you're doing. I think it's so important. I just feel so honored to be brought into this space to share and, um, if anyone has more questions, you you're you're welcome to reach out to me um, and to the ministry in general. Like we are definitely here um, in support of people that um, that want more education, and we're constantly doing zooms and all all different stuff where we come together and share and in, in, uh, in a good way. So um, yeah, I think if it's okay, I'll t I can tell you my um, Instagram. I would want you. Yeah, please let people know how they can reach you. Okay, so. One that's easy to remember um, is my Instagram. It's at Church of the Sacred Fruit. So yeah, it's just Church of the Sacred Fruit. And then um, my email is minister at churchofthesacredfruit.org. And then um, the, the ministry website where you can actually even join the ministry right there um, and also find out like how to contact us and stuff is uh, Universal Ministry 
of transcendence.org. Transcendence is a pretty difficult word, word to spell, but um, yeah, universal ministry of transcendence.org. And then I have videos on YouTube um, at Gabby Chai Bird. So awesome. I try and to produce content for people and um, make create space for people to ask questions and to, to join us. So you can always reach out. Love it. Love it. When you get off this stream with me, if you'll send me one more email with each of those, I'll make sure that in the show notes, wherever we put this episode, that that information is there so that people can reach out to you. Absolutely. More than so, happy to. Thank awesome. you. <laughs> sorry if we, sorry if we ruined your voice for the day, but you gave no. a ton of information that was super helpful. Thank you so much, Bill. Have an amazing day. Okay. Take it easy. So nice to see you. Yep. Bye-bye. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.